0: This is Mark chapter 4, we'll read the first 20 verses. It says this, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, Listen. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they may turn and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How will you understand any parable? The Father sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil... Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. This is God's word for us tonight. If you would, let's pray together before we consider it. Father, we do ask that you would, in these next few moments, be our teacher. That your spirit would come and open up eyes that are blind, um, unclog ears that are uh, hard of hearing, and soften our hearts that we may... See, behold, relish, enjoy and believe upon the Lord Jesus once again. And that would be our prayer. We'd ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you' all hear this like ticking thing right above me? That's obnoxious. Sorry for that. Just feel like I had to state the obvious instead of everybody thinking, "What is that ticking sound? I don't know what it is either. Okay, one of the greatest things about doing this job is the opportunity I have very often uh, to sit down with people who have questions about Christianity, questions about their faith, doubts about Christianity, objections against Christianity. It really is a joy for me to be able to sit down with someone who's wrestling with what they believe and you know, I'm privileged enough for them to process that with me. And so... Um, a while back, I sat down with a student at E! News, and we were having a great conversation. This was, this was a guy that had come to RUF a couple of times, but who uh, identified himself as an atheist. And we were sitting down, had a great conversation, and he asked me this question. He said, if Christianity is true, why doesn't everyone believe it? If Christianity is obviously true, why doesn't everyone believe it? Now, If the intention behind his question is to undermine the truthfulness of Christianity, that's not a good question, because I could have just as easily asked the question to him, if atheism is true, then why don't everybody believe you either? So so that question, if the point of that question is to invalidate the truthfulness of something, it's not a good question. But if the intention of that question is really to explore and to try to figure out, okay, why is it that some people respond to Christianity and some people don't? If that's the intent, then that's a good question. That's a great question. Because if you think about it, why is it... Good man right there. (laughs) Thank you. Did that stop that clicking? I think you did. Good job. Thank you. Um, If you think about the question, why is it that two people, same uh, background, same education, same culture, sometimes even the same family, One person responds to Jesus with faith and with devotion, and another person kind of shrugs the whole thing off and thinks it's stupid. Why is that? Well, that's a great question. And actually, Jesus in this passage, this is the first time that we get in the Gospel of Mark, him giving this long extended teaching. That's why this passage is so long in your handout this week. And Jesus is teaching this long thing to answer that question. Here is why some people respond and some people don't. That's what Jesus is getting at. And he's going to tell you the reason behind, the answer to that question, why some people respond to Jesus and some people don't, is it has everything to do with how you hear. The point that Jesus is making here is that you have to be careful how you hear God's word. So from verse 1 through uh, through 34, Jesus uses the verb to hear 13 times. In fact, the first word out of his mouth in verse 3, if you go back one slide, the first word out of his mouth is listen. That's the point he's making. So he's going to show us that there's actually four ways of hearing and responding to God's word. And the way that he gets at that, at this is he tells us a parable, which is a story. And it's a story about a uh, farmer. So my SD majors are going to like Jesus' story here. It's the story about this farmer who throws out seed on four different paths, and the seed represents his word, the gospel, and and it has four different results based off of what the conditions of the soil are. And his point is going to be to show us there's four different ways to respond to how you hear the gospel. Three of them are bad ways. One is a good way. So, So what I want to do for the rest of our time is just work through these four ways of hearing one at a time. Okay. Here's the first one. The first bad way of hearing, if I can put it that way, is what we're going to call hard hearing. If you look at verse 4, the, the image that Jesus uses is the word, fall, the word is the seed that falls on a hard path. But because it's on a hard path and it doesn't sink into the soil, birds come along and quickly scoop it up. And he explains uh, later what this means. But if you, if you kind of vision it, you know, there's places all over campus where there's, uh, you know how there's green, there's grassy spots, but there are just natural footpaths that form, and there's just the dirt there, and there's no grass that grows, and the dirt that grows there is very hard, it's very compressed, just because that's where people naturally walk. If you were to throw seed on that particular type of soil, it would not sink into the ground, it would just stay there, and in, in Jesus' story here, a bird would come and eat it up. Now, what does that look like practically for the word to come? To you and just bounce off of hard soil. Well, here's what this would look like practically. You would hear the word, you would hear the gospel, you hear the Bible, and you would respond uh, with skepticism, with um, suspicion, with kind of rolling your eyes at it and thinking, uh, this is ridiculous. People still believe in this mythology. And, and you just kind of roll your eyes, and, and the word comes to you and just bounces off, it doesn't, it doesn't sink in. Another way that you, uh, you may have hard hearing is, uh, you know, some of you have been around the Bible so much, maybe because you grew up, grew up with it, grew up in the church, and so when you hear somebody speaking, you hear a passage opened up, you, you read a passage and you think, yeah, I mean, I've heard this before. Yeah, 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 I've heard this uh, like a hundred times before. And the posture of your heart is, uh, there's nothing new to learn, there's nothing new to gain from this, and so the word comes to you and bounces right off. Heart, Hard hearing, nothing sinks in. Or another way that we listen in a hard way is that we think as we're hearing someone speak or preach, we think something like, uh, you know, I wish my mother were here to hear this. And you know, you're hearing a sermon about being judgmental, being critical. You're like, man, I really wish my roommate were here to hear this right now. And what you're doing in that moment is you, the, the, the word is always directed to other people. It's never about you. You're basically giving the word the Heisman at that point, and it bounces off of you and nothing sinks in. Or another way that you may have hard hearing is that you, know, you go to E! News, uh, you're in your room, you've got your coffee in the morning, you've got your Bible open, you've got your journal, and you're going to sit down and you're going to read your Bible. And you read it for long enough to t- deal with the guilt that you have for not having read it earlier that week. And once you feel like you've read it for an adequate amount of time, you close it up, put it in your bag, and go about your day, and you have no clue what you just read. Doesn't sink in. Bounces right off. This is kind of like, you know when you um, get an upgrade of software on your computer, you download a, um, a, a new app or something, and, and you've got to click that box that says that you have read the terms of agreement? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? And you click the box, knowing that no one in the history of humanity has ever read the terms of agreement. That's that's what this is. You basically click the box. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I've read it. I understand. Roll your eyes. Bounces off without even having read it. Without it, nothing sinks in. Now, we could jump on uh, to the next point, but it actually gets a little crazier. If you look at verse 15, Jesus says that the birds that take away the seed actually represent Satan, who comes and takes the word away from you. And that's just weird enough and spooky enough and close enough to Halloween to where I feel like I need to explain that for about two minutes before we move on. What Satan does is he never... And yes, the Bible affirms the reality of Satan. We can talk about that later. Satan never makes you do bad things. Satan never comes in and possesses you and overrides your will and then makes you go out and do these horrific, awful things. Satan never makes good people bad. Satan makes people who are flawed worse. In other words, what he does is he comes in and he aggravates and utilizes what is already there. So, for example, like let's say that your heart, you already believe, when you're, when you're hearing the word, you already believe, the Bible is stupid, who, who would ever think that a book written 2,000 years ago would at all be accurate or relevant? All Satan does is it comes to your skepticism and cranks up the volume, so that now your skepticism is all that you hear, and the word cannot get through because, because your skepticism is so loud, you can't hear it, it bounces right off. Or, you may already be a bitter person, bitter at your roommate, better at your family, bitter at life. And Satan comes and he turns up the volume of your bitterness so that the encouragement and the hope that the word offers to you, you can't hear it. The, the volume of your bitterness is too loud. Or you may uh, be a prideful person. You're already just a disposed to be, uh, think that you're the man. Or the woe man. And all Satan does is he comes in and he cranks up your pride so that when the word comes to you and invites you and calls you to humble yourself and to repent, you can't hear it. Because the volume is too loud going off on your pride. When I was, uh, when I was in college, your age, I spent a summer at the beach with uh, another campus ministry. And there were six of us, six guys Living in one motel room. And uh, there were, we had two bunk, three sets of bunk beds. Six guys crammed in there so you can imagine it was awful, it was filthy, it was horrific. It was crowded and and the worst part about it was, uh, was the trash situation in the kitchen. We had a trash can in the kitchen and the rule amongst our roommates was that whoever was the last person to fill up the trash bag was the person responsible for taking it out. So of course, whenever it started to get high, the trash getting high, you would delicately put your trash on top of the pile and walk away, thinking there's you can still stack more on it i wasn 't the last person to do this, and everyone thought that, and so everyone would come along and just sort of create this very delicate leaning tower of trash that eventually toppled and began to it fell into the onto the kitchen floor and we were such Bad roommates, nobody owned it. Nobody assumed responsibility. And so the trash in the trash can kept overflowing, and the trash in the kitchen just kept collecting as well. And it got so bad, we got to the point where we would be in the other room, drink a Coke or something, finish the can, and just throw it into the general region. And it would bounce off of the trash can, land onto the kitchen floor. We spent the summer. Uh, wallowing in our own filth for the the summer. But here's the question. Is that you? Meaning? Does God throw the word out to you? Either here at RUF, at church, conversation with a friend, and it just bounces off and lands right onto the floor. That's what Jesus is saying. is hard hearing. The word doesn't sink in. It doesn't penetrate to your heart. That's the first form of bad hearing, hard hearing. Let's look at the second thing. The second way of bad hearing is what we're going to call superficial hearing. He talks about this initially in verse 5. Jesus says, uh, he calls it rocky soil, which means there is a layer of rock about two inches underneath the soil surface. So if you were to take a stake push it in the ground, chunk, it would quickly hit rock. And so what would happen is you throw a seed and the seed would actually start to grow. And the roots would extend, but they would only extend for about two inches before they hit the rock, and they couldn't extend any deeper. And the plant would then begin to grow. And then he says, when the sun comes out, which normally would be a welcome thing for the plant, it, the roots aren't deep enough to get the moisture, to get the water out, to compensate for the amount of sunlight that it's receiving so it eventually dries up, withers, and dies, and here's what uh, here's how he explains this in verse sixteen. He says, "This is like someone who hears the gospel and immediately receives it with joy, with joy." Now that's fascinating because this this means that this could be people like you. Maybe some of you fit in this description, where you. Uh, you, respond, you have responded to the word with joy. So maybe you have really intense emotional experiences during worship. Uh, maybe you even cr- have cried uh, during a song before. You get goosebumps. Maybe you're the type of person who has uh, closed your eyes and thrown up your hands and has just been, it just doesn't care what anybody else thinks because you're so enthralled with praising God. And maybe that's you. And if that's you, that's great. But then the story goes on. He says, but this person... The person that I'm describing for you right here, here's what happens next. Persecution comes into your life because of the word. In other words, you start to experience suffering. Suffering comes into your life. In other words, the sun comes out. The the heat gets turned up. And when that normally would be a welcome thing for a Christian, because we know God uses suffering to strengthen us, to grow us, to uh, shape us. But instead, when suffering, when hardship, when something bad comes into your life, you just punt Christianity and walk away. Just peace out on the faith altogether. For example, I I knew a student that was involved with our ministry a number of years ago. And uh, she was uh, a leader within our group. Um, She went on conferences. uh, She was... uh, from, from my vantage point, from everyone else's vantage point, she was growing as a Christian, seemed to love Jesus, growing in her love for Jesus, growing in her love for the church, uh, was involved. And then one day, her boyfriend breaks up with her. And she is devastated, cannot function. And because that is not the way that her life was supposed to go, she peaced out on the whole Christian thing and just walked away. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain someone who's so on fire one minute and then the next minute is just punted the whole thing? Well, here's how. It's easy to love Jesus when things are going well in your life, right? It's easy to love Jesus when things are going well. It's, it's, uh, it feels, you know, the worship music makes you feel good. It feels great to have a community of people around you who are praying for you and encouraging you. Uh, it feels good to be labeled as a leader or a rising leader. And so it's really easy to confuse loving the benefits that you get from Jesus as opposed to actually loving Jesus. And so here's what's scary about this. This means that you can be a good person. You can go to church. You can go to RUF. You can can receive the word with joy. You can love teaching Bible studies. You can even be an RUF campus minister and not love Jesus, to not be a Christian. And how would you know? How would you know? Well, one of the ways that you would know is, when, is how you react to suffering. Because what God, this is partly why God uses suffering in our lives. Is because what he does is he strips you of some of the benefits, if I can put it that way, of following Jesus. In other words, following Jesus is no longer rainbows and ice cream and butterflies. It's now hard. It's, it's costing you something. It's hurting you. And when those things begin to get stripped out of your life, that's what makes you ask the million-dollar question, which is this. Do I really believe this stuff? Do I, do I really believe this? If everything gets stripped out of my life and all I have left is, just, is Jesus, is he enough? That's the question suffering really makes you wrestle with. If everything else gets taken away and all I have is Jesus, is He enough? You know, one last thought on this before we move on. Uh, I have noticed in my four years here at App that Appalachian State students, maybe just college students in general, but y'all, put a high premium on spiritual enthusiasm. Uh, it means a lot to you to want to feel, to, to connect, to uh, experience God in a really intense, emotional way. And what I want to uh, point out to you from this passage is that you know, enthusiasm for God is not necessarily a sign of spiritual maturity. It's not necessarily a sign of spiritual maturity. In fact, Jesus even says, it's in the Bible, Jesus says this, It may not even be a sign of spiritual life. Spiritual enthusiasm does not equal spiritual maturity, and it doesn't necessarily even equal spiritual life. And so here's what this means for you. As you think about campus ministries and churches and what church you're going to go to when you graduate from college, and I hope that you consider that, my humble opinion, advice for you, is, is to be careful of churches whose focus is to get you hyped up for God. When that's the focus, to get you emotionally jacked up and excited, that's dangerous on the basis of what Jesus is saying, to receive it with joy and fall away because you don't understand what the gospel is. So let me ask you this question. Is that you? Do you get excited and pumped up and enthusiastic for Jesus? But when any form of hardship comes into your life, because you don't understand God and you don't understand the gospel, it throws you off kilter quickly. That's superficial hearing. That's the second one. Here's the third bad way of hearing. We're going to call this divided hearing, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because we actually talk about this a lot in RUF, but the third image you see is in verse 7 seed falls out a little seedling sprouts it starts to grow it's growing up and it's beginning to look hopeful but because there is this infestation of weeds in the bed of the garden these weeds are growing up along with the plant and they begin to eventually wrap around the plant and choke it out and entangle it and kill it it's like uh, You know, someone silently creeping up behind you and choking you out like a ninja is the image that comes to my mind when I read this. And Jesus' explanation of this ninja plant is in verse 18 and 19. He says, this is what this is like. Someone who hears the word and responds, but... Verse 18 and 19, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word. And Jesus is saying this. When your heart is divided and, and other things are jockeying for your heart's affection, the gospel become, gets crowded out and your spiritual life actually suffocates when that happens. If I can put it this way, I love my wife... I love my job, and I love the show Breaking Bad. There's a, uh, there's a proper hierarchy and order there, and, and when, the, when the order gets out of place, my life begins to get out of whack. So if I, like, if I love my job more than my wife, this means I'm going to spend way too much time working and neglect my family. Not good. Life out of control. When uh, I love Breaking Bad more than my job... Uh, this means that I'm going to spend too much time watching that amazing TV show and neglect my job. Neglect my responsibilities and get fired and life spins out of control. So so there is an order there, but when those, when that order gets uh, out of place, my life spins out of control. And Jesus is saying, look, your love for other things, and they can even be good things, amazing things, like Breaking Bad. When those good things... come into your life and the order gets mixed up then your life spins out of control and your spiritual life gets suffocated in that moment another way to put it is to quote from your favorite band Mumford & Sons when um, on their first album uh, there's a verse in their song roll away uh, the stone or your stone roll away your stone and it goes like this Uh, you told me that I would find a hole within the fragile substance of my soul so he's saying there's a hole in my soul and then he goes on and says I have filled this void with things unreal and all the while my character it steals it's brilliant but here's what he's saying he's saying there is this chasm in my soul that only God can fill if you can clicheize it that way but he's saying, when I have filled that things with things that are unreal, meaning things that aren't God, not only does it not satisfy me, it steals my character. It affects me. It chokes out my spiritual life. My life spins out of control, as it were. In other words, the order's getting out of whack. God's supposed to be up here, and I'm putting things unreal up here, and it's stealing my character. So here's what this means for you. You may consider yourself a Christian here tonight. And in fact, if I were to give you a, a written exam, and uh, first question, true, false, is Jesus your savior? You would say true. Yes, of course, that's right. But if we were to actually examine your life, we would see something else is your savior. You're looking to something else to satisfy you. In other words, uh, you may have a, a theoretical you know, exam theology, and then you have a practical real life theology. So, for some of you, you may say on the test, Jesus is my Savior, but in real life, it is your boyfriend or your girlfriend that is your Savior. In, in other words, you're looking to your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you're depending on them, not Jesus, them, to be the source of your happiness. It's your romantic relationship that is. The thing that gives you purpose, the thing that gives you meaning, that's the reason why you really wake up in the morning. And when that becomes your savior, the order is out of whack and your life spins out of control. And here's how it spins out of control in this particular scenario. This means um, you're incredibly insecure all the time. Uh, you're analyzing every text message that's coming, and you don't know what it means, and you're analyzing the frequency or the infrequency of how often they're talking to you. You're always trying to manage their perception of your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Uh, it's, it's just completely emotionally unstable. It's because you're asking them to be Jesus for you, and they can't. And so your life begins uh, to spin out of control as a result when uh, that relationship becomes in jeopardy, when uh, there's hardship that happens, y'all get in a fight, or when the relationship ends, you're completely distraught. It, it, your world doesn't make sense anymore when that relationship is out of whack. But for some of you, it may not be your uh, boyfriend or girlfriend. It, it, the thing that you're looking to may be your family. It's your family where you get your joy, your meaning, your purpose, your ex- reason for your life. They're, they're your real savior, even though you say theoretically Jesus is. Or for you, it may be your work. Your work. Your grades, your success, popularity, money, whatever it is. The point is, Jesus is saying, you may love these things, and they may be great things. Those are all good things. But when you love these things, when you prioritize them and you elevate them over Jesus, your spiritual life gets suffocated uh, and your spiritual life begins to fall apart. And the question for you is, is this you? Is this you? Do you love Jesus, but is your heart divided between your love for Jesus and something else? That's divided hearing. Hard hearing, superficial hearing, divided hearing, three bad ways. And Jesus is going to extend one more and say, this is the way that I'm going to commend to you. What we're going to call receptive hearing. Receptive hearing. If you look at verse 8, we'll look at this last one briefly. Jesus says that this is when the seed of the gospel falls on good soil. Okay, well, what makes it good soil? Well, he explains in the explanation when you get to verse 20. He says this is somebody who doesn't just hear the word, but accepts it. Now, the idea of accepting it becomes clear when you compare the last soil to the first three soils. You compare and contrast. So, for example, accepting it would look like this. Instead of hard-hearing, when the gospel hits you and immediately bounces off, you you accept the word, you receive the word immediately. To accept the word means to accept it immediately, meaning, what this means practically, you say to yourself, uh, I'm going to wrestle with this now. I'm going to analyze my life now. I'm going to wrestle with the text of the Bible now. I'm going to wrestle with what I'm hearing in RUF or in church or with these friends now, not to say, Well, I'll get to this later. You know, college is the fun years. I really want to kind of live this up while I'm here. And then after I graduate, maybe when I have a family, then I'll start going to church and getting religious and spiritual. And down the road is when I'll start taking this stuff seriously. To accept the word means you receive it immediately. And so, in comparison with the uh, superficial hearing, when the gospel hits you and it's pretty shallow, to accept it, to receive it, means that you take it in deeply which means uh, you do the hard work of studying the Bible, of of reading it, of wrestling with it, of contemplating it, of dialoguing about it with other people, of being in Bible studies and exploring this and wrestling with it. It It means that you don't settle for cliche, cheap little bumper sticker answers to hard questions. You wrestle with it. You dive in deeply. And instead of... Divided hearing, where the gospel comes to you and it gets choked out because of your love for other things, you accept it and you receive it exclusively. Which means that you begin to start to go to war against the very things that you love. Meaning, you start pulling out the weeds of your own heart. When you see, uh, when, when you discover about yourself, I actually love other people's approval more than I love Jesus you actually you start to go to war on that. When you discover I love I love sex more than I love Jesus, you start pulling out that weed and going to war on that. When you, when you discover about yourself, I, I just love going to char on the weekends way more than I love Jesus, you go to war with that. So, so that's what it means. To accept the word it means that that you receive it immediately, uh, deeply, and exclusively. And, and so what happens when you respond that way. What's the result? Well, it's this, it's this incredible harvest of fruit. Jesus says 30, 60, and even 100 times what was planted. And just so that you're aware of you know, Middle Eastern agricultural standards, the typical return on a crop was about 10 times the amount of seed that you throw out. 10 times. And Jesus is saying... When the word gets into you, it is this explosion, this transformation of your life, a fruit that you'll see this explosion of fruit in your life. And what does he mean by fruit? Well, fruit becomes a little clearer later in the New Testament. Paul says, the fruit of taking the gospel and receiving it this way is this explosion of love, of joy, of peace of patience, of of kindness, of gentleness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of self-control, that's what begins to happen in your life. You see a massive explosion of character, change of character, transformation of your life. That's what happens when the seed of the word of the gospel gets into you and you receive it like this. Okay? How does that happen, though? How does that happen? The way that that happens is when you understand what the seed of the gospel actually is that's when you understand what actually begins to change you. Because the gospel doesn't come to you, the seed of the word doesn't come to you as a list of rules, as a system of do's and don'ts. It comes to you as a story. The gospel comes to you as a story. I mean, think about this. Would a set of rules, a system of do's and don'ts, ever have the power to inspire you, to to motivate you, to to transform you? Of course not, but a good story would. And the gospel story is the story of God, the farmer, pursuing you because he wants you, because you are wanted by him. So much is his love and so much is his desire for you that he would leave heaven in the person of Jesus and come down to earth to come get you. And not only just come this far, but to come all the way to the cross. And to remove the one obstacle that stood between you and him, which is God's judgment and God's wrath in the first place. So he bears it, removes the obstacle, so that he could get you. And when you enter into that story, that's what begins to melt you. That's what begins to move you when you see his pursuit. And in fact, his pursuit of you doesn't just stop 2,000 years ago. It continues right up here to this very moment. The reason that you are in this room, I believe, right now, is because God is pursuing you. The reason he orchestrated your week the way that he did so that you are right here is because he's pursuing you. And if you think about the story, the farmer, he throws out the seed. And he, he doesn't have to even throw it out in the first place, but he throws it out. And even when the first three times he's not getting good results, he's still throwing it. Maybe this is your first time to RUF. Maybe this is your 50th time to RUF. And look, he's still throwing it out to you. He's still throwing it out. Maybe you've always responded with hard hearing or with divided hearing or with superficial hearing. And look, he's still throwing it out. He's still, he's still pursuing you. Despite all the ways that you've rejected him in the past, he's still patiently throwing out the gospel again and inviting you in to live in that story. And so my prayer for you and for me tonight is that we would hear the word, we would accept it, and we would see this massive transformation take place in our life. And that really is the invitation for you. So let me pray. Father, we do pray that you would enable us by your grace to respond to the gospel with Uh, with faith to respond and to take the word deep into our heart immediately and deeply and exclusively so that we may really see this transformation, this explosion of fruit of love and joy and peace and patience in our life in a deeper and a newer way so that you would get all the glory as the farmer, as the sower of the seed, as the one who pursues our very hearts and of our lives. Thank you for your goodness and thank you for your kindness to us tonight and not abandoning us and not letting us go. And We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.